All right, Lakers taking on the Boston Celtics tomorrow. We got to kind of go around the NBA here real quick. So first off, let me just say this. Uh, Scores around the NBA, games that are significant to the Lakers, they have some type of impact. Grizzlies up on the Mavericks, 75-70. We need the Grizz to win. Nuggets up on the Heat, 60-49. This is obviously doing it without Jamal Murray. Uh, Clippers beat the Pistons, 100-98. Pistons, can, can you just win one game? Can you, can you get one for us? Uh, and then the only other game of some significance here is Nets and the 76ers. Sixers won that game 123-117. Okay, Curtis, this is what I want to do here. So yesterday, Michael and I talked a little bit about this. There's been a lot of chatter and conversation about this playing tournament. Let me first say this. I'm a fan of the tournament. I really am. I, I like that um, I like that there are teams, more teams got a shot to play. More teams got a shot to make the playoffs. More teams are not going to tank for a lottery pick if they're sitting in 11th or 12th spot, but they're only a game, game and a half, two games out of this potential playing tournament. So I think it raises the quality of competition throughout the season rather than 15 games left. You think you're out of it. You're not going to get top eight and you just stop trying. And, you know, we've seen this with the Lakers. There were times where the Lakers were obviously in the lottery and for for the benefit of your team, you wanted your team to lose because you wanted them to get a higher draft pick. So I'm a fan of the playing tournament. This is the one thing I don't understand about the tournament, and I'm going to get into what Mark Cuban said. I'm going to get into what Luka Doncic said. The one thing I don't get is, if let's say you're the seventh-place Dallas Mavericks, and you have a six-game lead on the number nine seed, or you have a seven-game lead on the number 10 seed, just using that as an example, why do they get to play in the tournament? Like, shouldn't there be some type of a threshold that says you have to be within three games? If you're on the outside looking in, you have to be within three games of a of you know a playoff spot to actually have a chance to be in this tournament. That's the only one I don't get. If I remember correctly, wasn't that more what they did the first time in the bubble? That's exactly they, they what only, they did. I mean, it was only like the four teams that actually had a chance. I think it's. I don't know why they strayed away from that. Obviously, well, I, I know why it's money, but I, I liked that previous. I think they need to uh, somehow just listen. I'm I'm all it. I'm all for an extra game. I'm all for a couple extra games. I mean, I think those are going to be incredibly exciting. As here, as I'm running my mouth and I'm I'm saying, well, I don't know if these rules make sense. I'm going to be watching it. No question about it. I'm going to be watching. I'm just the only thing that I'm referring to is if you know, and, and I hear people saying this. Michael was saying this yesterday. Uh, I have no, Michael said he has no remorse for any of these teams. If you don't want to be in the playing tournament, don't be in the top seven or don't be seven or eight, right? Or don't be seven through 10 or whatever the case is. Well, really just don't be seven or uh, seven or eight. But with that in mind, you know, you could kind of, it's almost the same thing with the uh, March Madness. You know, they just keep expanding it and expanding it. Sometimes it loses a little bit of its luster. That that could happen in the NBA. I guess it could happen. This is what Mark Cuban said. Mark Cuban said, it's an enormous mistake, especially due to the season's compressed schedule. He said the worst part of this approach, this is actually Luca. the worst part of this approach is that it doubles the stress of the compressed schedule. Rather than playing for a playoff spot and being able to rest players as the standings become clear, teams have to approach every game as a playoff game to either get into or stay in the top six since the consequences uh, are enormous. So players playing more games and more minutes in fewer days. Uh, actually, that was Cuban. Um, he was just kind of reiterating what uh, what Luca said. I, that part I don't sympathize with. I don't sympathize with it puts even more stress on the players. 
Uh, I don't care, you know, what team you are, what place you are. I don't think another game or two is going to cause remarkable stress. I just wish there was more of a barometer to get in rather than you're five games behind number eight and you still get a chance in the play-in tournament. Think of a formula that works. What's that? No, it's go back. Uh, for me, it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. I think mm-hmm. they should go back to what they did last year. But yeah, Cuban said, me. in hindsight, this approach was an enormous mistake, but he also is somebody that signed off on it in the owner's meeting. Doncic said, I don't understand the idea of a play-in. You play 72 games to get into the playoffs, then maybe you lose two in a row and you're out of the playoffs, so I don't see the point of that. Um, I think there's a lot more people that are not on the side of Mark Cuban and Luka Doncic, and I don't think it's a surprise or a shock. Guess who's sitting in seventh place in the Western Conference? It's the Dallas Mavericks. So I don't think the Dallas Mavericks are probably complaining if they're fifth place. They had a better season. They're actually – there was a good article. I don't, I don't know if it was a Dallas Star, but one of, the, uh, one of the publications in Dallas pretty much saying, you guys put yourself in this position – Nobody thought you would be in the seventh position coming into this season. Why aren't you one of the top five teams, uh, at least one of the top six teams in the Western Conference? So I I think there's also some of this has to do with the fact that the Dallas Mavericks are trying to point the finger at somebody else when it's really their fault that they're in the position that they're in. Yeah, but the the Spurs would gladly take that spot if that meant them getting in. So if you don't want it, whatever. You know who else wants it? Memphis will take it. You know who else will take it? Sacramento. I mean, any team that's not obviously in that position would grab that in a heartbeat. There's plenty of franchises that have not made the playoffs in a long time and would love to be there. So that's where we are there. Um, Awful, awful news a couple nights ago. Um, Jamal Murray goes down with his injury. This, you know, Curtis, this is a significant – first of all, I feel incredibly bad for Jamal Murray, right? Like here's a player coming off the success that he had last season – uh, the dude was cold-blooded in the playoffs. They were down 3-1 against Utah, down 3-1 to the Clippers, and here's Jamal Murray having nights where he's putting up 50 freaking points in the bubble. Um, what a fantastic player. I don't think the moment bothers him. I like. I think he likes those big-time situations. Then Denver goes out, gets Aaron Gordon, who, you know, Jeremy Grant is who they lost in the offseason. Aaron Gordon comes in, who I think actually would be a better fit for them. Uh, now you think Denver has a legitimate chance to get back to the Western Con- fi- Western Conference Finals, go up against Utah, go up against the Clippers, and put up a legitimate fight against the Lakers. I don't think they'd obviously beat the Lakers. And then Jamal Murray's out. You know how long he's out for? How long these rehabs usually take? It's, I think, a minimum of 11 months. Yeah, Michael was like saying yesterday, a that's year. a year. So that means next year, think about where we are. He would miss all of next season up until almost the playoffs. So this is just devastating injury for the Denver Nuggets. feel really bad for Jamal Murray. But the point that I want to make here from a top NBA uh, stories perspective, this kind of shifts the landscape of the Western Conference. You know, if you thought – now if you're top four in the Western Conference, let's say you have Denver in the first round. Denver without – you know, obviously Jamal Murray is a significant difference. Um, I don't know what will happen, but I will say this. Denver, I thought, had a chance of beating anybody in the West, and this injury obviously changes uh, changes so much in the Western Conference. What, what was really you know harrowing is I think earlier in that day, I saw him trending just because he was going off. I think he had like 30 or something. And then by the end, it's, oh, he's out and has this. It's just crazy how, how quick it happens and how fast you can Well, it's worse. To, spot, the worst you know? thing, too, is those injuries where there's no contact. Right where it's just him on his own. He's just going on a fast break, a move that he's made probably a thousand times in his career, and 
you just see something buckle and you're like, oh, that's the worst. You know, sometimes when when there is contact, you think, okay, maybe maybe he uh, he bumped knees with another. But like you're hoping that you're trying to make some kind of story of it. But usually, when there's no contact, those are usually when it's the uh, the worst injuries. By the way, did you see this, Curtis? There was Baxter Holmes recently put out an article. This was today, and the subject says NBA personnel see link between compressed schedule, rash of injuries. We have defaulted to survival mode. I, I want to read off a couple quotes that he had here. Um, one of the quotes, this is from a veteran assistant coach. Hands down, it's the worst schedule I've seen in 25 years in the league. It's utterly insane. This is Baxter Holmes uh, having an article on ESPN.com. Um, another NBA head coach, a veteran NBA coach, called it brutal. I want to. There's a couple things I want to hit on, but I'm going to read off one more, one more quick uh one more quick uh, quote here. Going into the bubble, we all had these different anxieties about the games, but without travel, the head athletic trainer said, this is literally exponentially more difficult. It's such a, a cumulative effect. One NBA GM, I've never experienced anything like our injury spat that we're in right now. Okay, so I'm going to say this. I don't know if some of these injuries have to do with, obviously, the compressed schedule, but I don't think it sounds like that's a safe assessment to make. Curtis, what did you want them to do? What were they supposed to, What's the NBA supposed to do? I mean, that's the question. It's, it's, there's, what else can you do? It's that or you're not going to extend you know, the regular season and, and push the playoffs back a week or something. You know, they're not going to do that. It's, it's that or don't play them at all. This is, this is my thing when those are talking about the season and – I'm just going to give a couple examples here. Um, we are we've all kind of adjusted our life. We've all adjusted, you know, our work situation and everything else. The NBA decreased their games by ten, so they go from eighty-two to seventy-two. By the way, and I'm I'm not sitting here telling you that the NBA has done everything right because I don't think that they have. But I don't know what else the solution is. They started the season out December twenty-second for one reason and one reason only: money. They're playing 72 games for one reason and one one reason only, money. They're doing the play-in tournament for one reason and one reason only, money. I don't know if you know the theme here. This is a business, and they're trying to maximize the amount of dollars they make to the best of their ability without fans, without concessions, without parking, without all that stuff that's obviously been a big revenue generator. The reason why I bring all that up is I do not have the solution what the NBA is supposed to do in predicaments and situations like this. But what I will tell you is um, I think they've been backed in a corner. They've done absolutely everything they possibly can to make sure players still get this, the you know, pay the amount of money that they're hoping for and that money's coming from TV revenue. I don't know what else they can do. And if some of these injuries are increased because of this season, I can't wait for us to get past COVID-19, get back to a normal schedule. So hopefully that, that obviously goes away. But I don't have a solution for you, buddy. I really don't. Everyone's had to adjust – the way they do things for the last year and possibly the next. So it's it's what you have to do, right? And, and it doesn't mean that I don't sympathize towards it. That doesn't mean that at all. It just uh, it's an obviously it's an, an unfortunate predicament, unfortunate situation. Okay, um, we got a couple things here uh, coming up. First, uh, real quick here, quick shout out Valvoline, Valvoline Instant Oil Change, home of the 15 minute drive through oil change. Visit SoCalOilChange.com for locations and coupons today. Uh, appreciate them. One of our uh, newest sponsors here on uh, on Lakers Talk. Uh, go to the website, like I mentioned, SoCalOilChange.com. Find the location near you. Go get it done. Just go get it handled. Go get it taken care of. Um, this is what we do when we come back. 
So three different anniversaries this week. The last three days, April 12, 2013, was, listen, it's not a, it's, it's a memorable moment for Kobe Bryant, and there's a reason for it. I think it kind of described his personality as a player. Um, April 13th, 2016, of course, that's Kobe's final game. And then I want to go back all the way to April 14th, 2004. When we come back, there were three different anniversaries around Kobe Bryant this week over the last three days, April 12th, 13th, and 14th. Today's obviously the 14th. Um, I'll, I'll get into that when uh, when we return. Appreciate you guys being a part part of the show. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, Laker fans, um, this is what we got going on. Three anniversaries for Kobe Bryant this week, April 12th, April 13th, April 14th, um, some significant moments in his career. Uh, obviously, the one on April 12th, so this was a couple days ago on Twitter, you know, you, you hear a, a lot of different folks. This is what happens. When you get to this time of the year and then over the next couple of months, you're going to have uh, playoff games where it was Kobe Bryant was a part of, Shaq was a part of, or maybe Kobe and Powell. But in the regular season, some of these games were obviously significant. So April 12, 2013, that's when Kobe tore his Achilles against the Golden State Warriors. So it was, I think, the 80th game of the season. Lakers were trying to obviously push for a playoff spot. Uh, why is this significant? It's significant because, and I've, I've talked so much about this in the past, and I even asked, uh, um, I've talked to you know Michael Thompson. He always brings up, every time I do an injury report, he talks about it. He always says, well, would Kobe would have played, you know, depending on what another player has. Um, Kobe for 20 years obviously was such an incredible basketball player. But let's put the basketball player to the side for a second. And I don't think there's going to be anybody that can kind of talk about this as well as Andy Bernstein, who is one of the iconic NBA photographers um, over the course of 30-plus years. I think actually even longer than that and has got a chance to be around a lot of these athletes. What what made Kobe Bryant Kobe Bryant? I thought that April 12, 2013, when he tore his Achilles, that was – in my opinion, one of the most important moments of Kobe's career, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. It signified who he was. It signified somebody that um, it didn't care about the predicament, the situation. Uh, it was literally um, whatever it took on the floor to win, I was going to do it, and that was Kobe Bryant. How the hell did this guy, after tearing his Achilles, decide to walk over to the bench then walk back up to the free throw line, hit two freaking free throws, and then walk off the floor. That was Kobe Bryant, and he knew his season was done, and he knew the rehab was going to be incredibly intense, and it's going to be a long process and everything else. Uh, so that happened April 12th, 2013. April 13th, 
2016. I think everybody knows what happened. Kobe's second free throw good. He has 60. The Lakers lead by three. Here we go. Utah needs a three to tie it. Hayward driving down the middle all the way to the rim. Lay it up. No good. Rebound grab. Kobe's got it. Length of the court pass to Clarkson. Clarkson at the rim. Slam dunk. Game in the refrigerator. And the Lakers are going to win on Kobe's last night. He's going to score 60. And I don't believe what I just saw. So I've told this uh, yesterday. I spent some time um, in the pregame show. Told, asked Michael and John, um, you know, what that night was for them. What was it like? What 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 made it, you know, so where does that game rank with some of the other games that, you know, they've called together, they've been a part of? Uh, I asked Stu Lance the same question in our conversation earlier. By the way, if you miss any of that conversation, ESPN app or on iTunes, Lakers Talk uh, podcast with Alan Sliwa. Get on there. You get the whole interview. Uh, Stu Lance is always great. I'll give you guys my experience real quick with Kobe's final game. And it was so different than most games that I'm accustomed to as a Laker fan. Now think about this. Back in the day, I'm sure a lot of Laker fans can um, can relate to this. It's not like you're watching big games with the Lakers and you're calm, cool, and comfortable. That That's not how it works. I mean, as a fan, it's freaking nerve-wracking. And I've never been able to take that out. Like, this is my profession. This is my career. And can you separate like can you separate the business side with what you're passionate with? I, I'm I don't have the ability to do that. I actually like merging the two together and I think that's what kind of motivates me on a day to day basis because I genuinely love covering Los Angeles Lakers basketball. I wasn't watching the two thousand and ten Lakers Celtics game sitting back and saying, you know what, whether we win game seven or not, everything's gonna be okay. I was stressed out of my mind. I wasn't watching the Game 7, Lakers versus Kings in Sacramento, um, thinking in my head that, you know what, well, we gave it our best effort if we lose this one. <laughs> You're nervous as hell. Uh, and that's you know, that's part of what comes with the world of sports when you're a fan of a specific team. What I thought made Kobe's final game so special is there was no, none of that was there. The expectations weren't there. The anxiety of a big game wasn't there. Kobe had already accomplished everything in his career, 20 years with the purple and gold, two jerseys that were going to be retired, the window of Kobe and Shaq together, the window of uh, Kobe and Pau Gasol together, every individual accolade you could think of, he got it. Obviously, the five NBA championships. I mean, the list goes on and on. What made this game so special is you can just celebrate what Kobe had done. You could celebrate 20 years of what he brought to not just Los Angeles, to basketball fans and sports fans around the world. Everybody knew freaking Kobe Bryant. And the way he went out in that final game with 60 points, I remember being there, and uh, at the time I was still on the business side. So I was not uh, you know, covering the, the Lakers like I am today. And I remember you know, just kind of standing there in complete awe. There were moments where I'm like, is this guy going to get 30 points in his final game as a Laker? Unbelievable. What an unbelievable accomplishment. Gets 30. It's like, is he going to get 40 in his final game with the Los Angeles Lakers? What an unbelievable... 40 passes. Gets to 50 and gets 60 freaking points. Mamba out, walks out of Staples Center. John was saying this yesterday. There will never be another performance where somebody in their final game who has been playing their sport or obviously an, an expert in their craft, 
that can play it at that level in their final game and walk away. Um, Kobe game will arguably go as the greatest sporting event that I'll ever attend or I'll ever be a part of, and it had nothing to do with winning and losing. It was watching one of the greatest leave, and the way he left was obviously unbelievable. Um, And then April 14th, 2004, I don't know why, but everyone, this if you go back, I've been doing Lakers talk now. I think we're actually getting closer to the five-year anniversary. Um, every year I've been doing Lakers talk, I always end up playing this one. This, this got to be one of my favorite uh, Kobe highlights. Where are the Blazers going to go for their foul? What are they going to do? Kobe with it, guarded by Patterson, staying outside the arc, dribbling. Patterson keeps his feet. Kobe forces. Oh! He made it! <laughs> he threw it in! Regular season, possibly. Out to Kobe. What a way to finish! Are you kidding me? Are you? That's the way to end the regular season. How good is that? (laughs) How good is that? That was Paul Sunderland and, uh, of course, Stu Lance, as uh, you guys heard a little bit earlier in the show. Lakers won, ended up winning the uh, Pacific Division. Uh, the Kobe Stopper couldn't stop. How, how are you going to title? How's anybody going to give anybody the nickname Kobe Stopper? That's the worst thing you could do. Uh, remember Ruben Patterson back in the day, but one of my favorite highlights. So the last three days, you got Kobe in a nutshell describing the type of warrior he was on the floor April 12th. Tears his Achilles, April 13th, 2016, Kobe's final game. And then April 14th, today, anniversary back in 2004, Kobe's buzzer beaters versus the Blazers to end the season. Uh, just a uh, kind of a fantastic kind of look back at, at Kobe's career. And I, I always love doing these because um, that's such an amazing career. Andy Bernstein coming up next. Stay right here. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right. uh, Appreciate everybody that's been a part of the show. Thank you to Stu Lance. Came on earlier. All the uh, callers that called in as well. Let me welcome in Andy Bernstein, iconic sports photographer for the NBA. Been a part of the Lakers for a long time. Also hosts the Legends of Sport podcast. Andy, thank you uh, for taking some time, buddy. How are you? Hey, Alan. How are you, man? I'm I'm great. Good I'm, to speak to you. I'm still a little blown away. So let, let me tell a little story here. So uh, earlier today, <laughs> um, I got a chance to uh, head down towards South Pasadena, um, meet Andy in his office, and there was a specific reason for it. There's a new mural, uh, Kobe Bryant mural in in South Pasadena, and I'm gonna tell I'm gonna let Andy tell the story here in just a second. But uh, Andy, I'm literally I come to the office. And I'm I'm trying to tell everybody. I was like a, I was like a kid that just walked out of Disneyland, and I'm trying to tell everybody what I got a chance to see. Um, what a great experience to come out to your office and see some of these iconic iconic pho- uh, photographs over the years. 
obviously specifically around the NBA. What a cool experience. I, I mean, Andy's taking me through pictures. Oh, yeah, that's Pat Riley uh, eating a hot dog. That's uh, Magic Johnson uh, right before the series against the Celtics. Andy, it was, a, it was a really, really unique experience, and I know you know the audience that listens to this show all appreciate uh, the work that you've done over the years. Uh, well, thanks so much, Alan. You're, you're a great friend, and it was so cool to have you out at the office today and, uh, and you know, go through the archives a little bit. You know, you were a little bit like a kid in the candy store, so that was fun. Um, but it was, it was just great to see you and, of course, uh, you know, show you the mural because um, it's, it, I'm just so proud of it and so happy that it's right there where I could see it every day. So tell, tell listeners out there, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Over the last year or so, we have um, seen some different murals go up and – this mural specifically, I'm going to let you tell the story, but obviously yesterday was the five-year anniversary of Kobe's final game. Puts up uh, 60 points, and that's how uh, um, the one of the icons uh, in the history of the NBA walks away from the game. And I got a chance to, you know, obviously see the mural specifically. Um, for those who, uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of background uh, on the mural um, the location in South Pasadena, and if there's some Laker fans out there that want to see the mural and, and the history behind it. Yeah, absolutely, Alan. Um, you know, following uh, the very, very tragic events last year, um, you know, losing Kobe and Gigi and everyone on the helicopter on that horrible Sunday in January, um, I was noticing, and I'm sure a lot of people out there were noticing that murals were going up all over the L.A. area. Um and then I was noticing on Instagram that there was a guy named Mike Asner who had started a, a site, an Instagram site called Kobe Mural and a, a corresponding website, KobeMural.com, where Mike was tracking all of these murals throughout the world. And uh, almost like a Google Earth type of thing where he set up a map and you could, you know, touch on a place and mm. the mural would come up and you get a story behind it and all that. So Mike reached out to me kind of out of the blue. Um, he was noticing some, you know, so many murals were, were being depicted from my photos of Kobe throughout the years. And, I, you know, he wanted to chat and talk, and we became very, very fast friends and uh, went out and met some muralists around town and learned their story. And um, it was just kind of mind-blowing to me because, you know, to see my photos and then interpreted by an artist, you know, put up on a wall was just incredible. Um, so I was noticing that there was a, a big lack of murals in the area where I live and work, um, the South Pasadena, San Marino, Pasadena area. There's only really one in Pasadena, I think, and maybe one or two in Glendale. And uh, I just felt we had to have a mural. You know, we just needed one in South Pasadena. I'm a member of the South Pasadena Arts Council. You know, murals are a big part of, of create, you know, the creative spirit of our community. However, there aren't really any in our town. So I talked to my building owner, um, who was great. And he, uh, I didn't even have to finish the sentence, really, because he said, yeah, let's put one up. <laughs> you know, find me three muralists I can choose from. I'll pick one. And uh, we'll get going, and we'll make sure it's done before the fifth anniversary, which, of course, you know, was yesterday. And um, I gave him three different muralists, and he picked Jonas Never, who is this amazing, world-famous muralist. And uh, I love Jonas's work, too. And um, lo and behold, you know, um, 
Jonas started. We, we actually uh, got some friends and family to donate. Um, we exceeded the donations. We were able to make a, a, a nice uh, donation to uh, the Mamba Mambasita Sports Foundation, as well as also the South Pasadena Arts Council. And Jonas worked uh, feverishly. I mean, the guy was like unbelievable. 16 straight days. He worked like at least 10, 12, 14 hours a day. <laughs> and he was commuting from Venice to South Pasadena every wow. day. He would beat me to the office. I'd get there <laughs> at 8 o'clock. He'd already been painting for two hours. And it, it just was incredible. And, and the whole kicker to the whole thing was that the photo that I had to have as the mural mm-hmm. where I work mm-hmm. <laughs> was the last photo that I took of Kobe as he walked off the court for the last time. I mean, I shot his first picture. As a Laker, you know, 1996 on Media Day, I wanted the last picture to be him walking off the court, you know, depicted and forever memorialized in a mural. And, uh, you know, found on my building owner and said, yeah, let's do it. Jonas just, man, he just, he just embraced it. And um, I stand there and I'm just in awe, like I was with you today. And I, I've seen the mural, you know, it was finished last week. I've seen, you know, I just stand there for like 20 minutes staring at it because it's just so incredible. What a great job he did. Andy Bernstein, iconic sports photographer for the NBA, has been uh, uh, taking a lot of these iconic shots around Lakers basketball for a number of years. How, how many years now, Andy? Well, I hate to tell you, my friend, but it's 40. This is <laughs> 40 years. 4 for me. 40, 40 years. years. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, and Magic, Magic's rookie year was essentially my rookie year. Hmm. So. Um, <laughs> I go back a lot. Well, you've uh, obviously been around all the all the great times. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about this, and this is something I, I would love for you to share uh, with Laker fans out there. So, Kobe's final game. Can you walk us through what your role was? Because this was not just show up to Staples Center and snap a couple shots. Mm-hmm. What um what what was the final day? What was kind of your role with Kobe uh, of as best as you can, trying to tell the story of his final game at Staples Center? Well, it, it actually started back in November um, of that season when he announced that this was going to be his last season, the 2015-16 season. And I started to spend more time with him uh, behind the scenes. And, of course, he had this incredible farewell tour, you know, when he would play his last game in every visiting arena. And I was there for most of those, I think almost all of them. And then um, the 2016 All-Star Game, which was really a tribute to him in Toronto. I mean, that that game, that whole weekend was basically a Kobe tribute. Um, So I talked to him and I talked to his team, Molly Carter especially, who was running Kobe Inc. at the time. And I said, look, I, I would love to to finish the story, you know, um, that I started in 1996 by documenting his last day. Um, and uh, she said, sure. Kobe said, sure. So next thing I know, you know, I'm leaving my house at 5 in the morning, that morning of April 13th, and uh, went down to Newport Beach, spent the morning with him. He, he was at his office. He was taking meetings. He was doing phone calls like any other regular day. And uh, we came up to Staples and... Um, I got to tell you, the, the only time Kobe ever told me that he didn't want me to take a picture in the 20 years that I photographed him was when we were in the, in the car going towards Staples and it made the turn onto Chick Hearn and he saw 
everything that was going on outside the building, you know, all the fans and Kobe jerseys, the big banners, you know, it was a true celebration of his career. And he was taken back. Um, I'm in the back seat. He's in the front seat. And I went to take a photo and he, he's like, but just put his hand up. He goes, no, man, I got to take all this in right now. Mm. <laughs> no pictures right now. The only time he ever told me not to take a photo. And, um, you know, to be with him that entire night, I mean, you were there, Alan, and um, every, all our friends in the media. The, the only time in my career that I was ever at a press conference uh, for an athlete that the entire room of the media contingent stood up and gave the athlete a standing ovation. Wow. I mean, I'd never seen that before in my life. Mm. Um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful night. And, and, you know, who could have written that ending? You know, Holly, you know we're in Hollywood, but we, I don't know anybody who could have thought that this guy, especially after coming back from almost a career-ending um, Achilles tear a few years earlier, you know, comes back and drops 60 in his final game, you know, I mean, I still, it still gives me goosebumps to think about it, honestly. Andy Bernstein, uh, iconic sports photographer for the NBA, the Lakers, Staples Center, um, also the host of Legends of Sport uh, podcast. Andy, you said something um, earlier, you said that you took the first photo of Kobe and then the final photo uh, obviously, the iconic photo that we're talking about, the mural, Kobe, everybody's seen it almost kind of waving as he towel over his shoulder as he's on his way out out of uh, off the court. What was the uh, what was the first photo for those who, who don't know? Well, the first photo was on Lakers Media Day 1996. Mm-hmm. You know, Media Day is the official opening of training camp. It's when all the players come out um, for the first time and as a group and meet meet the media. You know, there are different stations set up. This is uh, back at the old um, Toyota Sports Center uh, facility. So every part of the gym was set up with a different station. You know, it could be your radio station, it could be a TV station, NBA Entertainment, you know, um, myself for NBA Photos and, and the team. Probably about 25 different stations that the players had to go around. And, you know, I, I'm taking photos of every player, and here comes this young guy who I had never, you know, I'd never met him before. Um, heard a lot about him, um, and like any young player or any player I hadn't met before, maybe was traded during the off season. Um, I just went up and said, "Hey, Kobe, I'm Andy Bernstein. I'm your team photographer." And, and he, you know, <laughs> he said to me, "He said, well, yeah, sure, man. I know who you are." <laughs> I think I told you this story before, Alan, but it's just so worth it to, to tell it again. That mm-hmm. I said, well, that's not even possible because we never met before. And, and he said, well, I had all your posters in my room growing up. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking this is ridiculous. I mean, who reads the photo credit on a poster? <laughs> and I just knew this kid, eight, 18 years old, I mean, was, was breaking down, you know, posters, photos, videos, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, he had just such a presence to him at 18 and, and we bonded immediately. I, you know, I'm 20, you know, was always 20 years older than him. But Mm -hmm. that moment I was 38, he was 18. And, um, I saw something in him at 18, the way I was at 18, you know, driven and kind of a chip on my shoulder and don't take no for an answer type of attitude. And, um, you know, we were both obsessed with what we did. I mean, you know, one of the tenets of the Mamba mentality is obsession and uh, obsession with your craft. And I think subconsciously we bonded over that, and then we laughed about it when we were doing our book together because 
we were so obsessed with getting the book to be the best it could possibly be, you know? So um, it was a wonderful relationship uh, on and off the court, um, incredible friendship. And I- I'm just so grateful that, you know, um, that I was able to be in his life for the time that, that we all had him here on this earth. Well, Andy, you know, the, I think the stories are incredible. I really do. And I think the, you know, kind of telling the background story, I, I think the final game is the one where I thought it was so so interesting that you got that opportunity to cover him all day. You know, you're out in Newport mm-hmm. and taking photos, and here's this just kind of how the day goes in, in his final game, and then the iconic shot, and now this mural in South Pasadena. So it's a, it's a fantastic story. Um, your Legends of Sport podcast. Uh, how can uh, how can listeners out there, if they want to take a listen, how can they um, how can they find the podcast? Yeah, thanks so much, Alan. Yeah, the, the Legends of Sport podcast is uh, distributed by the LA Times on, on their platform, but to all the major podcast uh, platforms, including Apple and Spotify, so you can find it anywhere. Legends of Sport. We also release um, concurrently with the audio version. We release a uh, video version. So um, this is season three. We've uh, we have a video version of every podcast that comes out, which is wonderful. And yesterday we released a never been seen before video version of my 2018 podcast interview with the Mamba himself mm. uh, after our book came out. And um, we had we were just sitting on this video because up until this season we really weren't doing any video and releasing it but uh, my editor put together a beautiful beautiful video version and i hope everyone gets to see that that that's on our youtube channel legends of sport and um best way to kind of keep track of us and everything that's coming up in the news with us is uh, on instagram at legends of sport andy great stuff buddy thank you for sharing the story uh congrats on the mural and obviously uh, everything that went into that uh, beautiful new Kobe Bryant mural in South Pasadena. And by the way, uh, just some beautiful murals that have been popping up over the last year or so. Andy, thank you for taking the time, man. We'll be in touch soon and uh, looking forward to your next uh, iconic photo that we're probably going to see here shortly. Yeah, thanks so much, Alan. Always great to talk to you and everyone out there. So thanks for having me tonight. All right, thank you, Andy. That's Andy Bernstein right there. I'm not I'm, – this is no joke here. Went to his office um, – and he's just like literally going through these iconic photos as if they're uh, trading cards or something. I, I don't know how to describe it. Like he's flipping through just a magazine and there's magic. And then there's another one with Shaq and there's another one. But like iconic photos, photos I didn't even know were from Andy Bernstein. So really cool moment. Um, and I appreciate him sharing the story. Okay, we got our final thoughts coming up next. Lakers taking on the Boston Celtics tomorrow. We'll spend a little time on that. Um, and, you know, I, I did this already, kind of the overall thoughts on this uh, seven-game road trip, but one other thing I want to get into is um, an area that I think is going to be key for the Lakers to just kind of clean up before we get to the playoffs, and then uh, the AD and LeBron updates that came out on Saturday from Adrian Wojnarowski and Dave McMenamin. Stay right here. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. What a great show. Show uh, flew by. Appreciate uh, Stu Lance's time. Andy Bernstein, how cool that. Some of the stories that he had, uh, Kobe's last game and some of his interaction with Kobe, taking some of these iconic photos. Uh, if you miss any part of the show, ESPN app or on iTunes, Lakers Talk with Alan Slee. We'll get the full two hours. By the way, just quick plug, uh, following this, we'll do our social show. 
So Lakers Talk, this will be on video, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, Curtis is huge on MySpace. Um, he always tells me, Alan, you got to add MySpace. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, okay, so Richard Jefferson, Richard Jefferson, earlier this morning, what was he on? You know, Curtis, what was Richard Jefferson on? Uh, they were all, you'll hear all the voices in, actually in this clip, but it's a okay. the jump. It's okay. Matt Barnes was there and a little bit of Rachel and, and uh, Jefferson. Well, let, let me play this because we were talking about Andre Drummond earlier. I took some phone calls. What Laker fans think so far of Andre Drummond? Take a listen to Richard Jefferson. Look, I'm going to speak directly to Laker fans. <laughs> you will not see the impact of Drummond yes. until LeBron Absolutely. and AD are back. Yes, Don't be like, oh, there what was this? There was some panicking last night. There was some panic. Oh, what's Drummond? And I'm like, guys, 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 LeBron James is one of the greatest passers this game has ever seen. Drummond needs that. Yep. Anthony Davis is one of the most skilled big men that's going to allow for less than three people to be trying <laughs> to box out Drummond. If you thought that Dwight Howard was a key part to your championship, Drummond is better. Yeah. Drummond is like a younger, I want to say a young Dwight because Dwight was a monster, yeah. but he's like a young, sure. younger yeah. Dwight Howard. Yeah. So He was the best pickup to me um, come uh, deadline time, yeah. the buyout situation. But you're yeah. not going to see that now uh, yeah. until you've Absolutely. got LeBron out there on the floor, until you got Anthony Davis. So before you start getting all crazy agree. about like Drummond's numbers, Take understand it'll skyrocket. All right, that's Richard Jefferson right there. So let's kind of make this simple here. Um you know, when you when you watch a game, when you see Andre Drummond so far and you see what he's, what he's accomplished so far, uh, a lot of what his skill set is, and I know I mentioned this, that his strengths will be played um, when LeBron and Anthony Davis are in the lineup. He can go play to his strengths. Right now he's not technically playing towards his strengths. Guy's good. But if you're asking him to be the best player on your team or second best player, and we've dealt with that with Cleveland and Detroit or whatever the case is, the two teams that he played with, yeah, that's probably not a good option. Um, but when LeBron and Anthony Davis do come back, obviously he can excel because so such little attention is going to be on him. Woj and Dave McMenamin um, were putting out a story on Saturday. Sources were telling them, Los Angeles Lakers, Superstar Anthony Davis will be reevaluated by team doctors in L.A. this week and could return to play in the next 10 to 14 days, and LeBron James could be right behind him. This is, uh, sources told Adrian Wojnarowski. So this was a story that came out on Saturday. The only reason why I want to go back to this real quick, for the first time, we actually feel like we have a little bit of a timetable where, from a fan perspective, when somebody says that person's out indefinitely, uh, you know, you kind of get a little disappointed there. Like, all right, I'll indefinitely. Well, what does that mean? How long? How much time is that? We want to know um, when exactly this person is going to come back. So, this is a timetable that we have. I, I think you make Laker fans a little bit more comfortable. With. So that was Saturday against Brooklyn is when that story came out. So if Anthony Davis came back in two weeks uh, from when that story came out, it could be potentially against that Dallas Mavericks game um, that's coming up in a week and a half. If LeBron James didn't come back for, let's say, three weeks, maybe you're in the first week of uh, May and you'd still have one, two, three, four, five, five more games left before the playoffs. All I'll say is this. Um, these guys obviously just got to come back, and when they do and they come back healthy, take your chances with whatever the Lakers got from there. So that's the latest report there. Um, I did mention this. I was keeping an eye on the Dallas Mavericks-Memphis Grizzlies game. I got bad news, Laker fans. Looks like Luka Doncic just hit a three at the buzzer um, to beat the Memphis Grizzlies 114-113, I think. 
I don't know. ESPN's got 113. Is the game over? I, I know if you saw Kurt. No, 114, 113. Yeah, so hits a three at the buzzer. So what does that mean? That means in the NBA standings, uh, Lakers now will have a three-and-a-half game lead over the Dallas Mavericks for that uh, that seventh spot. Granted, they're in front of Portland. Denver's going to beat Miami, so Lakers will be a game, full game behind the Denver Nuggets for fourth place in the Western Conference. Um, okay, that's all we got. That was uh, obviously a, a fast two hours there. Lakers taking on the Celtics tomorrow. Tip-off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game show with myself and MT at 5.30. Fans back at Staples Center. Can't wait for that. Uh, social show coming up next. Laker fans, as always, greatly appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm Alan Sliwa. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN.